fill you in if, uh, in if you were on the vintage email list. Uh, you know that uh, not uh, the Tuesday before, you probably would have an email from me uh, letting you know that uh, Tate and Ashley Welling will be leaving vintage. So I wanted to get up here to share a little bit this morning just about that. that I, and I basically want you to know this, and, and Ashley, you just need to know I cried in the first service talking about Joel's about crying, and I, I well, just love it. So, uh, but uh, it's one of those things that um, it's, it's uh, people ask me, how, how do you feel about that? So it's just a really bittersweet thing for me. It's a, it's a bitter thing for me because Tate and Ashley are two of my favorite people in the world. Tate's been here almost three years, and Ashley's been here since they got married, right? And, and we just love having them around. They are a part of our family. Listen, our, the DNA of who we are is vintage, shaped by Tate, by his terrible stories on stage when he's in worship, right? He's up there to tell us these stories. Remember, remember the story about the Hogan jumping into the pool and getting algae all over him? And it was God speaking to him. That there's like algae in his life that's sin, that God still holds him and loves him. You remember that story? That was an awful story, Tate. And so, um, but anyway, no. But so they're literally part of our family. And, and so, you know, when, um, you know, they're just, and you all know when Tate came, Tate, you know, he lived, at, uh, he was by himself. He, he was not married. And, you know, if he was going to make it to church on time, you know, and stuff. And, and, uh, and so he came, he was single. And, and then he got changed life for him, and now he's they're pregnant and having a kid, and and um, and so they came to a point, and you know, saying, listen, we're at a stage of life trying to figure out what does God have for us. We love being at vintage, and you can ask them this, right? Love vintage, love being here, love what God is doing, but what but what does God have for us? And so we Tate and I have talked, and Ash and I have talked, and just about next steps. And so one of the things that takes steps you may not know, but the very first couple of times we ever met, I said, Tate, you're coming to be our worship leader, but what do you want to, what do, you want to do for a wife? Right? And he said, Oh, this guy would love to be a pastor. Come do what I'm doing. Right? And you may not have a pastor for, for years down in South Georgia in the Methodist Church. And, and so there's this, this, this DNA in Tate that he feels like God's calling him to be a pastor. So when he got to this kind of this crossroads, see, what do we, like, what do, we need to do? One of, and one of the things was, well, I, there's this calling to be a pastor. And so. They began to first look into that and God opened up a door and, and they decided to take a job at uh, Georgia College and State University in Millersville, Georgia, where take to the, the Wesley Foundation's director. He's going to be this, the, the campus pastor there. Then he gets to be a Sunday pastor of this little country church. I can't remember the name of it. What's the name of it? Montpelier Methodist Church, right? It's about 30 or 40 or 50 people there on a good Sunday, right? And so, so Tate gets to go and preach there every Sunday and be this campus minister down there. And so, so with that, it's a bitter thing because I love them so much. I really do. And I, I, like, they're some of our closest friends. We love them to death. And, and they'll forever be part of our family. They will forever be vintage, right? And so we're so that's a bitter thing, and I know a lot of you love them. You some of you are here. You don't really like me, but you love Tate up here, right? You love his story. You love him being up here, right? And so with them here, we're we hate that they're going, and, and but we're excited for them because we know that God is doing this thing, and so that God is calling them out. And so I would just say this for you: in churches, unfortunately, churches become rumor mills overnight, right? Well, there's some sort of other story going on underneath. The reality is there's just no other story. I'm just telling you flat out, this is one of those things that God is calling them to do. We're behind 1%, and when they come back and visit, we'll be really glad that they do. We won't just, we're really excited about what God has for them. So, 
So with that, we hate that they're going, you know, for those of you who have kids, you know Ashley's been just killing it in our kids' area, right? And our kids are taken care of, and she's loving on them, and our kids love her. It's just a, a good scenario in the sense of what they're doing. Now, with that being said, it's, uh, we recognize that, that this is one of those seasons in vintage that can be difficult, because when you leave, when you lose people of, uh, of, of the status that they are, both in just spiritual status and God's invested into vintage through them, and just personally through a relationship, you know, this is a difficult time. And we said you know, a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I said that the word that we've been getting, you know, Bill Stevens has shared this word for me in Deuteronomy. And we talked about it as a leadership team. We said a few weeks ago, vintage is in a season of giving birth. Remember we talking about that. This is a season of giving birth. And if, if, remember, if you were a woman and you didn't know you were pregnant and you began to have contractions, it would scare you to death, wouldn't it? You're like, oh my God, what's going on with my body, right? Because contractions hurt, they're not comfortable. You're like, what is going on with me? It would cause fear and anxiety and worry and frustration. Gosh, I'm so glad they're leaving. Of course I'm not going to say that. I don't want them to go. I told them that. I don't want them to go. But I, this is what they feel God's doing in them. So it's a new birth for them. But because of that, and because God has more invested in vintage than we do, because God has loves vintage more than we do, then he, how we have to believe he's birthing something new in our midst. And ultimately, in the end, will be great for vintage. And so with that, I just want you to hear me say, there's nothing going, there's no underlying story going on here that we don't want them to go, right? But that we know that as they leave, we want to bless them, we want to encourage them, we want to send them out to, to serve well where God is calling them to go. And they will forever, you will forever be part of our family. And we would love you to come back sometime and lead worship. Uh, we don't want to take the worship. Ashley Finley worship course is phenomenal. Uh, but seriously, to come back and do that. Now, the question within that is, Steve, what are we, what are we doing in the midst of that? Well, it's going to fill you in. There's three ministries they have that their departure affects. It's children's ministry, which Ashley leads, then youth, which Tate leads, and then worship. First things first, I've talked to Misty Davis about coming in for a short season, basically for about three months, saying, hey, listen, Ashley's getting everything in place with volunteers, hopefully as long as you do your part of volunteering, right? Volunteers and getting all of our curriculum in place. So all you've got to do is come in and administrate. Just come in and invest into our leaders. Make sure you get all of our volunteers in place. Misty Davis, she's not, Kelly's right there. Kelly's got his thumbs up. Misty's away this week uh, doing some work. But uh, she said, I'd love to fill in. I'd love to come in and help. I love children. I love the village. They serve in there diligently. So she's going to come in for the few months and say, don't give us a, just a kind of a, a window of time to really pray into and find somebody to come in full time. Second thing is youth. And obviously Tate's been leading youth, and youth has been going really well. We're really excited about all of our youth and what God's doing. So unfortunately, youth, what it means with Tate leading is that I'm going to step in. Right? I'm going to step in for that season. Now, the great thing is this. We have Tyler Dameron who is uh, coming, and he's going to be a youth intern this summer, which is really exciting. We have Jordan Carr, who's giving her time and energy as a youth intern this summer. That basically asked them to be here all the way through August, uh, so that there's some sort of familiarity. Basically, they're a whole lot more fun than I am. So they're going to come in and do stuff. And spiritually, I'll be coming in and leading you, investing into you, and, and hopefully I, we won't miss a beat. I'll step in, and youth will continue to go on and where it's going. I'll be at youth camp with Randall, and it should be really exciting. So we're looking forward to that. With worship, um, you just saw our team up here. And so when Tate isn't our worship team. Tate right now is just one member of the worship team. He's just one of our worship leaders. 
And so they're all still going to be up here. Shane's still sitting here jamming on guitar, right? And, we'll, and a lot of you just like love that. It frees you up in worship. And we're going to have you know, Joy's up here singing this morning. We usually have Allie up here on the keys and singing. We have our worship team who comes up here. We've got you know, Lucas back here banging on drums and Justin. We've got Stevie who's up here just pounding on those they're all going to be here. So we're not real worried about that. I believe that God's going to continue to anoint our time of worship. It's not about a person. It's about Jesus anyway. Right? So we're going to continue to give ourselves. And we're excited about that. And in time, we'll see what God does in worship. But simply, your responsibility in this is, number one, don't continue to spread rumors. If you are, I don't think you are, but in case you were. Number two in the story, I want you to pray. Just pray that God will continue to move. That God will continue to move in all these areas of ministry. And, and, and that God, just pray that we have a healthy birth. Whatever he wants to do, right? You always pray for those women who are giving birth. Just pray for ventures. That God will continue to move in us and would birth the things that he wants to birth. Because we can stand here. My prayer has been this. God, do you know I have no control over vintage whatsoever? It ultimately all belongs to you. If it's going to be successful, then you're going to have to do it. So please, if I'm in the way, give me out of the way and just birth what you want to birth in us. So with that, talk to Tate and Ashley. Tell them how great they are. Tell them how much uh, you love them, how they've changed your life, right? That kind of stuff. They're like, hey, those things when they leave. And uh, not this week, but next. Ashley, we're gonna, I've told Tate that we're going to sort of going away thing for y'all, okay? So we're going to talk this week and figure out a day that works for y'all one evening, okay? So I'll tell you because Tate will forget, okay? Yes. And so anyway, so we'll make that happen. We want all of you to be able to have it vintage, because it should be most everybody in vintage. You can come, at least if your schedule's free. So there you go. There you have it. The last thing is this. Obviously, with this transition, especially in children, it's vital that we as vintage are stepping up and filling the need in our children's ministry. Okay? Uh, with Ashley leaving it, she's been doing this and serving. And so uh, what our hope is, is when she leaves and Misty steps in, Every single one of our slots will be filled in our volunteer structure for our children's ministry. So I'm about to talk to our fathers and talk about how you need to fight for your children and fight for your family. So I'm going to lay it out there, men and women. I've said before, you don't have, there's not a calling to work with children. It's simply a biblical responsibility, right? And if you really are a part of the body of Christ, then you have a responsibility to help raise these children. Remember when we do baby dedications? I say to you, if you're willing to come alongside these parents and raise these children, would you stand up and would you pray along with me because you commit to raise them up? The children's ministry is the greatest way to make that happen. And so you've never served over there and never given yourself. Guess what? You have an unbelievable uh, possibility right now to do that in this season. I'm asking just to suck it up, and they're like, oh my gosh, kids, they just stressed me out. Guess what? They're gonna, you're going to love it. Ashley will tell you, anybody who's ever been in there, they say, it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. In fact, it was awesome, and everybody should do this. Okay? So there's the plug for children's ministry. I need you to do it. That would be fantastic. All right. So, real quick, if you are a father, if you are a father, I want you to go ahead and stand up. Go ahead and stand up if you're a father. How do you know it's Father's Day today? All right. So, can you hand me that bike, Buck? Can you hand me that, uh, hand that bike, please? Ask Buck to do that. All right. Okay. Um, now, so here's what I want to do right now. We're going to celebrate our fathers. 
what I want to do. The first thing I want to do is I want to find out who the oldest dad is in the room. So if you were a dad and you were over 40 years old, I want you to remain standing. Over 40 and you're a father, remain standing. Okay. If you were over 45 and you're a father, remain standing. If you were over 50 and a father, remain standing. All right. You're over, I just said 50, right? If you're 55 and a father, remain standing. If you were over 60 and a father, remain standing. All right. We're, all, we're here, not over here. I mean, what a group of good looking old guys. All right. If you were, let us do 60. If you were 65 and a father, remain standing. Oh, Tom service who was like 81 or 84, so you it was good, right? You would have lost if that so that's right. You keep your church old guy right now. Okay, at least in this service, your church old service guy. So, now, Father, again, go ahead and stand up. What we're going to get now is those who, uh, so if you were a father and have two or more children, remain standing. Two or more children. Alright, if you have three or more children, remain standing. Right? If you have four or more children, remain standing. All right. If you have five or more children, remain standing. Oh, good Lord. We got, let's pray for these men. Right? <laughs> if, if you have six or more children, remain standing. Okay. So do this now. If you have seven or more children, remain standing. Okay. If you have eight or more children, remain standing. Huh, uh, oh, you went that seven? Is that where we are? You have eight? Then you come up. Eight wins, right? Eight wins? All right. All right. You know, and living in life is one of those things that we, that we eat, you know, especially for guys like you who are so old and you have so many children, it's important that you have help. And so what we have, we have some vitamins for you. We have some, uh, we have the 50 plus complete senior vitamins for you, Tom. And we have the Wooday Energy vitamins for you, Paul. Uh, let's give it up for them. Guys can No, seriously, today is a great day. I love today's like this because today's are about me because I'm a father. Oh, right. I love days and, and like this where we get to celebrate being dads. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, I just love days. Some guys, I mean, honestly, don't you love days that are all about you? Let's just be honest. Like, remember growing up, your birthdays, it's all about you. I'll never forget when I'm my daughter in a captain. She wakes up on her birthday. I walk in her and, hey, honey, how are you? It's my birthday. It's all about me today. I can do whatever I want to, right? And, and so Father's Day is that way for me. So I can't wait until the church is over. We'll do whatever I want to do today. So it's a fantastic day. Now, Father's Day is important on so many levels. All of you have a father. Uh, that's why you're here. And as we talk about the celebration of fathers, I recognize that we're here today to celebrate, to discuss, and talk father, the, the role that fathers play in our world today, and specifically in the life of the church. We, we celebrate fathers, but I recognize at the same time we're talking about fathers that 
that some of you had either absent fathers or you had present fathers you wish it had been absent, right? Or fathers who died early. And so in that, when you come to this moment that you celebrate Father's Day, it's not a big celebration for you. There's just a tension for you in the moment. But I think that what we can say for all of us, for those of us who had fathers that we loved, and for those who maybe had fathers that weren't great or fathers who were absent, all of us could say the same thing, that fathers are important. For those who did not have great fathers, they would say, you know, I wish that I did. I would, that in some level, some form or fashion, there's a, a tension inside of me because I was not able to have the father that I wanted. We all live in that place, right? We all can, if we're to come up and share this, our own stories about Father, we each have our own stories to tell. Some would be exciting and funny, and some would be sad. And some would just be plain overwhelming. But all of us come to this moment, we can come to this moment, and I want to say, start out, say, listen, fathers and the role of fathers, at least in the design by God, is that roles that fathers have an unbelievably important role to play in the life of their own children. But also, whether you have children or not, you have a role to play as a spiritual father. And as we come into this moment, I want you to recognize, I'm not, I've had this parent, this the father stand up and we make fun of you who are old and have the most kids, right? But what I want you to recognize is that when we step in, I'm simply speaking to the men this morning because each of you, have a role as a father to play, either as a, as a spiritual father or as a father of your own children. And so as we come into this moment, that's where we're going to go this morning. So women, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to the men. I'm going to look at the men this morning when I talk. But the message really is for you too, okay? I'm going to talk about living life and being in a battle and being a warrior and all this kind of stuff. But the reality is the scripture that we look at from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 17 the message is for every single one of us who are in this room. I'm going to look at the men because it's Father's Day, just as I looked at the women on Mother's Day because it was Mother's Day. So I'm going to look at the men, but I'm going to talk to all of us. Okay? Y'all cool with that? Fantastic, I guess. You didn't say anything. Here we go. Jumping into Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. If you've been here, you know I'm ending here. I, we've been talking about Ephesians, I think, for the last five weeks, right? First, you know, three chapters we said, all about right doctrine, all about right theology. Basically, Paul said it's important that you know who you are about God and what you believe about God and who he is in your life. And the reality, you can't break down barriers in your own life. You can't bring breakthrough in difficult situations in your own strength. You need the power of Jesus. And he says, but it's important, in chapter 4 and 5 and half of 6, that what you do, measures up to what you say you believe. Right? You gotta walk the walk and talk the talk, that type of thing, right? So it's important what you do. If you're gonna be a follower of Jesus, you have to be obedient to him. And so chapter four and five, we'll read it. I mean, like gosh, it's so practical. Don't steal, don't cheat, all that type of stuff, right? Things that you should not be doing, right? And then he launches in, so there's this there's these this is a transition into a, a new thought from Paul. So let's jump in, just read along in your Bibles, if not just Focus on my words if you don't have it on the screen. It says this, finally, so in conclusion, kind of as a, this is the final statement. You need to understand this part if you're going to get it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the heaven of salvation and the sword of the word, which is the word of God. All right. So Paul comes in this moment and he says, listen, it's important that you understand this last part. And basically what he says, he says, finally, and you need to get this to understand the verse, the first two parts. You are not strong enough in your own strength to live the life that I'm challenging you to live. You can't do it in your own strength, right? You need help. Therefore, put, be strong in the Lord. Be mighty in His power. Put on Jesus, right? Basically this idea. And the idea is simply, it's really clear. It says you have to be strong because he says you are in a battle for our struggles not against humanity, flesh and blood, but it's against the enemy of God. It's against the devil, right? Whatever your ideology is about the devil, he's saying, listen, there is a real spiritual enemy who's pushing back against the people of God, pushing back against the church, and pushing, trying to destroy humanity because God loves them so much, and so you have to be aware you're not strong enough in your own strength to live the life that you've been called to live. You need to be strong in Jesus. You need to clothe yourself with Jesus because you are in a battle. And so when we come in and talking about Father's Day, you have to recognize, men, listen, fathers, whether you're a fathers across the board, right? You are called by God a spiritually father and a physically father. Fathers in this place of being a father is under attack in our culture today. All of us recognize this, right? The enemy is moving in power to try to, to, to keep men from fulfilling the role that they have of being father. It's a call of God on your life. We celebrate Father's Day. Why? Because you have a role to play as a father over a generation of youth that are in need of a father. But the culture is pushing against this. And the enemy is coming himself. What is he doing? He's, he's pushing against fathers. He's basically trying to get them overwhelmed. And to get focused on something outside of the things that are important. He is coming and say, basically trying to say, listen, speaking to men, saying, my gosh, remember when you started? Remember you used to be so free, you could do whatever you wanted to do. And so what do men do? They kind of, they just, they just kind of all of a sudden remove themselves from the equations. They want to live their life. And this voice is telling them, listen, there'll be a mom present. Their mom will take care of you. Just, you listen, you've been created to do what you want to do. Just be free. And so the man just takes off or they take off, physically take off, or they mentally check out from the family, right? And all the time the enemy is just speaking that into them. Speaking it into them. Saying, oh my gosh, you're so overwhelmed. You just need time to yourself. And there's this whole disconnect going on. The enemy is moving hard against this call of God upon the life of fathers. Every single one of you sitting in this room. Statistics tell us that this is true in the case of our youth today. 
So I'll just give you just these six things. There's lots of others, but just six things talking about just talking about fathers and the role they play in our life. First one is this: 63%, 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children come from fatherless homes. 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from homes without fathers. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions come from fatherless homes. And 85% of all the youth that sit in Georgia and Texas jails grew up in fatherless homes. Fathers not present. Fathers being destructive. Fathers not engaging. Fathers not being what they were supposed to be. The enemy stirring in their lives, keeping them from fulfilling the call that they have in their life. And what happens is the youth are then left saying, we have a mother who loves us, maybe, but there's over here a father who doesn't. Or maybe I have no parents who are loving me. And they're lost in the moment. And God is looking down saying, I've raised up fathers to fulfill this place and investing into their home and investing into their family, investing into their spiritual family because there are youth and children today who are desperately in need of a spiritual father. And I would say there are women and, 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 and men in this room who are 30 and 40 and 50 years old still looking for a father. Someone who will engage them and invest into their life. Listen, the roles of fathers are important in the eyes of God. He's raised them up with a calling, and their calling is vital, and it's important. Fathers, we have a role to play. We are under attack today. We all know that fathers are important, don't we? Fathers have either, play, have either damaged us or have played a vital role in growing us into who we are today. Fathers play a vital role in the lives of children, and we all know this to be true. Think about the impact that lives. I was talking to my sister-in-law uh, several, this was actually several years ago while we were still doing, doing, still doing college ministry out of Florida. And she was saying, hey, what are, the, what are some of the things that you wrestle with most? In, in college ministry. And we were in a season uh, of girls just struggling with eating disorders and cutting themselves and giving themselves away sexually in college because they are just looking for someone to love them. I said, it's this identity. Their identity. They, they really have no idea who they are. They're just struggling every day. I talk to them and they sleep with some guy on Friday night and they come to me on Tuesday and they're just broken over it and they're afraid they're pregnant and and they're just afraid of all these things. And I bet these girls would come up and they have these long sleeve shirts on because they're cutting themselves. Because they're just wrestling in life. They, we have these, these women who are coming up and just struggling with eating disorders just over and over and over. Can't break free from it. And I said it's all because of this, this, this broken identity and who they are. She was looking at me and said, oh, that's just that's overwhelming. She's like, I, mean, I, I can't really identify with that. But, but I can see how it can be true, I guess. I said, what do you mean you can't identify? She's like, well... She said, you know, when I was growing up, literally almost every day of my life, I would come into the kitchen and my dad would be sitting there. She said, I would be terrible. I would have these grubby clothes on. I got bags under my eyes. My hair's everywhere. I just don't look pretty. And 
And my father would look at me every day and go, oh, oh my gosh, you are so beautiful. Oh my, I mean, you're just, I mean, ah, oh, you're just so beautiful. You're just a princess. That's what you are. You are a princess. And I just can't get there. I can't believe you're my daughter. She'd go, like, all dad, stop it. Right? And she, she'd be like, I know what I look like. Right? I know all of this. But she said, but some of she said, but look, my dad literally did it every day. Every day that I was home and he was home, neither I would come to the kitchen, he would come to the kitchen every day. He'd go, oh, just stop and just look at me. He said he right through me because he knew on the inside. He just, he felt this way about me. She said, I'll tell you what's with me. And, she, and, and to, the, to this day, I mean, she lives in this confidence. Listen, for those of you who know my wife, you know that my wife is very self-confident, right? She doesn't have problems sharing her opinions. She has no problem telling you what to do, right? My wife is very self-confident. You know why? Because every day of her life, she lived in this place of knowing her dad thought she hung the moon. Her dad died in October of 96, right? And it was just this major blow to her life, right? Just like it is for anyone who's lost their, their, a loved one or loved, lost a parent. But she, to this day, lives in this place of just hearing again these words of her dad talking about how much he wanted to be with her. I mean, like right before, right before he died, I mean, she, she, he wanted to hang out with her. She said, I'm going to Willie Nelson concert at Cowboys. You want to go? He's like, yes, I would love to go. He doesn't want to go see Willie Nelson. He wanted to be with Randall. Because, and in this place, she just lived in this knowledge that she was loved by her dad. We all know these places, these roles, that if your dad was present in your life, how important he was to you, right? That when his, in his presence, you felt safety, right? You were, I mean, as a kid, you, you probably went places you never should have gone, but with your dad with you, you felt safe. Listen, I used to, street, I used to minister in the streets of Athens at like 1 o'clock in the morning. And it was a scary place to be, and there was a dude named John who brought his seven, no, no, it was like a five-year-old son, a seven-year-old daughter down with him every Friday to do ministry with us. And his kids walked around, thought they owned the place because their dad was with them, right? There's just safety that comes from dads who are present in our lives. Think about all the discipline that your parents did for you, your dad specifically, maybe growing up, the boundaries that set on you that you got so angry. You said, so why, kids, I'm going to let them do this, right? And do you let them do it? No, right? Because your dad set boundaries in your literally protected you. And when you look back, you go... Thank you, Dad, for discipline, setting boundaries for me, because if you had not set them, then I may have died or something really bad may have happened. Listen, there are those in this room whose parents did not set boundaries with them, and they sit there and say, I wish they had, right? Parents need to set boundaries. Dad needs to set boundaries. We have this place that their presence gives us stability in life, that gives us stability, that gives us identity. We have, probably can tell stories about our dads who were just playing with us and the stories of us laughing with them. Listen, I read, a, I read an article before my kids were born, before Anna Catherine, my first, was born. And it said this, that those dads who play rough, you know, like rough house, like tackle and wrestle and really play, who rough house with their daughters have daughters who grow up to be strong in their identity. I said, well, I'm going to play rough with my girls every day, right? And to this day, I mean, seriously, I'm not sure if it's that 
playing rough uh, helps them, or when they cry because you, you eventually hurt them by accident, you have to console them and get them close to you. I'm not sure which one is the actual right part of it, right? But there's just this whole idea when you're playing, there's this idea of identity is being created. Listen, my girls will probably be very self-confident here, right? Because, man, it's like rough has to play all the time. But there's this whole idea that fathers, the role they play in our lives. And then those of us who did have absent fathers, or terrible fathers, or destructive fathers, you sit here and you hear this, and part of you gets agitated because you just wish that you had this. Because a fathers have a role they're supposed to play every single one our lives. They have a role that they're called to play. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk to us as fathers and I want to name these things, just these, these three things that we have to recognize about our own identity as fathers. These roles that we have to these roles that we have to play as fathers, spiritual fathers, physical fathers in the lives of people that we're a part of every day. So I want to just name these three things. Number one is this. You, listen, you are in a battle. You're in a battle. And you listen, you're not wrestling with any human being. You're not wrestling with your wife. She's not the issue. You're not wrestling with your children. They're not the issue. You're not wrestling with your neighbor. You're not wrestling with your boss. You're not really even wrestling with yourself. Wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against a very real enemy who looks at us as humanity, God's greatest creation, and he says, my goal is to kill, to steal, and destroy every single one of you. Men, you are in a battle. And if you're believing a lie that there's something outside that's a human being that you're literally wrestling with, or some sort of object you're wrestling with, then you are issue with flesh and blood. No other human being is really our issue. We wrestle against a very authentic and real enemy in a spirit, spirit realm, who is looking to kill, steal, and destroy you. And as fathers, he's trying to kill you and steal your purpose and your calling so that the children who are supposed to be under you would falter and fail. You have to wake up to the reality that you are in a battle and you are wrestling every day with it. That's the enemy is working overtime against you. They're working overtime against you. You have to re-awake, be awakened to this reality. The second thing we find is this. You are designed as a warrior. You are designed as a warrior. Now listen, there are men in this room that you hate You hate war. You're a pacifist in heart, right? You don't like the movie Gladiator. You don't like the movie Braveheart. You don't like the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? You like to sit down with your wife and cry in movies, right? And let me tell you what, listen, our culture defines for us what a man supposed to look like, right? They they're gonna like they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna um, they're gonna drive big trucks, right? And and they are going to uh, they're gonna fish and they're gonna hunt. They're, they're gonna always love to kill things, right? 
And, and they're just never going to cry. They're going to be really, really tough, right? They're going to love, love, love to build things, right? And they have really, really big muscles because real men have really big muscles, right? Well, let me tell you what makes a man. They're not a woman. How do you know that you're a man? You've been to anatomy class. How do you know that you're a man? You're not a woman. That's how you know that you're a man. So if you're one of those men that you, you like to sit down with a good book with Kleenex and a soft chair and a really nice house, right? And, and, and you would expect to cry at the book that you're reading. And you look at your house that you designed it, but you definitely didn't build it because you can't even swing a hammer. Guess what? You are a warrior just like the men who like warfare. doesn't matter who you are. If you are not a woman and you are a man, then you're called by God to be a warrior. There's this woman named Ruth Paxson. She lived in the late 1800s and early 1900s. She wrote a book and she lived as a missionary in China. She said this. God, listen, no, I'm on the screen. God has no place for a spiritual pacifist. God has no place for a spiritual pacifist. Every Christian is enlisted for both defensive and aggressive warfare. He calls every saint, man and woman, to arms. Not into a religious playground or sports field, but into grim, terrible, bloody conflict. Are we all called? And so I don't know where we are, but the idea is simple here from Paul, and the idea is simple for us to grab hold of. We are in a spiritual battle, and in that battle, no matter how quote-unquote masculine you seem to be in the eyes of the world, you men, you men are called in to be a warrior. You are called to be a warrior and to fight for the things that God has entrusted into your life, that He's entrusted and given to you, that you are now over and investing your life into. It is the thing that you're called to war over. Your physical family, and if you are part of the body of Christ, and you are then called to be a spiritual father, and to invest your life into every single person around here who is in need of a father, and investing your life in engaging them. Getting outside of how tired you are and how hard it is and how all this stuff and how busy you are to say, you know what? My primary eternal call will be a father. Therefore, if I'm going to be a father for eternity, then I need to begin here and make it a priority in my life. I am going to war in the calling that I have. I'm not going to be a spiritual pacifist, but I'm going to engage it with everything that I have in me. Paul says, you put on the full armor of God. Listen, the armor of God can't fight by itself. It has to have someone filling it and fighting in it. You are called to be warriors. You are called to fight. Third thing is you have the power of a warrior. You have the power of a warrior. That's the idea that Paul's getting. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Put on the Lord. Be strong in His, in His mighty power. Just put on the full armor of God. Put on Jesus. Live. We're going to talk about this in a few minutes. This idea that there's power there for you to live your life. Listen, men. You hate to ask for directions, right? You hate to get help. But the idea of what's happening here is Paul is looking and saying, listen, 
You need help. You need the help of God in your life to fulfill the calling that you have. And apart from Him, you cannot. You need to have this power of a warrior given to you by Jesus. Listen. I recognize today that when, do you guys recognize, when you came in today, you, you didn't come in wearing armor, did you? Right? You didn't check your, your sword, at the, as Paul talks about, putting the sword of the Spirit on, right? You didn't walk in with this big sword on you and say, hey, I'm going to check it at the front desk, I'm going to chop somebody's all arm off and worship, right? Tim, you down, oh, sorry, I chopped your arm off and worship again, sorry, right? No, 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 you didn't walk in with physical armor on. The idea is there's a spiritual thing going on, the armor that God has called us to pick up, and we see this picture in 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is a story that all of us know. It's a story of David and Goliath, right? You've seen this throughout history, the story of David and Goliath. Remember, he had a nine-foot Goliath. He's covered in armor, right? He's got a big, massive, like, huge sword. It's probably longer than the person that he's standing in front of. And what is he doing? He's sitting outside the camp of the people of Israel. He's doing this. Hey, your God's an idiot. And your, 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 your king is actually a woman. Now, that's a bad insult, right? And every single one of you, you're a bunch of losers. I mean, they, really, he's cussing them out, right? We were, we're in church now. you got kids in here. I can't say what you're saying, right? But he's just going to town on them. He's just ridiculing them. And guess what they're doing? Oh, right? They're sitting there in fear, probably playing some cards, because they can't hear him. No one's talking, no one's talking, no one's talking, no one's talking, right? And Saul's over there eating grapes and bonbons, and someone's fanning him, right? He's like, oh, woe is me. Losing a fight for Israel, da 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 He's just over there making fun of them, mocking them, right? And so little David, we're going to say he's 13, but he's probably younger than that. He's 13, this 13-year-old boy comes up, do 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 What's he talking about? Did you just hear that he said about my God? He just said that about my God. He said, do you hear that? What are y'all doing? Go take him out. He said that about our God. This is our God he's talking about, right? You're not, you're not going to fight him? Well, I guess I'll have to. And so Saul, being this brilliant king, thinks the best thing to do is to let this 13-year-old boy go fight this 9-foot man. That is brilliant, right? That would be my choice. Let's pick a 9-year-old. Pick a 13-year-old to go fight this 9-foot man. It's idiotic. But Saul says, this is a great idea. Probably somebody's going to come, right? And so David comes in and he says, listen, listen, I've killed lions with my bare hands. I've killed bears with my bare hands. I can easily take this stupid Philistine who is mocking the name of my God. How dare he? I'm going to take him out. And so Saul brings him in and says, hey, that's great. In fact, let me give you my armor. So he comes in and he gets king's armor. And he puts it on him. And it says here, and I love this verse, it says, it says David says this in the first Samuel 17, he says, I cannot go in these because I am not used to them. I can't, I can't go fight in this physical armor. I'm just not used to it. And he gets over here and he says, because when I fought, I just fought the power of God. Don't you love this reality? In man's eyes, we want to fight in our own strength with our own resources. And David is saying, that never works for me. What works for me is I go over here and I empower myself with the power of God. And look what happens. I just kill bears and lions. It's not that hard. What? And so Saul, Saul says, fine. So David goes out. Let's pick it up here in verse 45 of 1 Samuel 17. He said, I love this. David said to the Philistine, 
You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down, and I'll cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. This is awesome. This is like that monologue at the end of every movie where the warrior stands up and gets bigger than he really is in real life. And the music comes in the background and he begins his dialogue, right? Every single man, and really probably woman in the world, wants a monologue moment in life, don't we? That really actually happens. You want that? I'll take you down right now. <laughs> monologue moment, right? You know what I'm talking about? Those moments where you just do your deal. You say it and it actually happens and everybody goes, oh gosh, right? And so David has his, has his monologue moment right here, and, and Scripture tells us that, man, he comes along, and, and what happens? Goliath dies. Listen, it wasn't like Goliath never had fear. You know why? Because he stood there cocky, and the next thing you know, he's dead. Right? And it's this moment where all of a sudden David comes in, and he's like, hey, nobody messes with my God. Nobody messes with my God. So the first thing that we see here is this. In the, in the story of David, in the story that Paul's getting at here in Ephesians chapter 6, we see the same thing happening to us being empowered by him and being strong in his mighty power. We see three things, I believe, in the life of David that for us is what God is calling us to as fathers. The first thing we see is we see an intimate knowledge of God. An intimate knowledge of God. So here's David, the story. He's a shepherd. What do shepherds do? They sit in a field all day long, all by themselves, looking at sheep. Now that's no fun. So what do you do? Well, you start talking. And the only person there is really God. So you start talking to God. And somewhere along the way, he begins to write these beautiful psalms, these songs, right? These songs that are birthed out of his time of shepherding about his relationship with God and his love for God. And he says, only one thing I ask, and this shall I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That I may gaze upon his beauty and know him forever. This is David's heart, right? He has an intimate knowledge of God. When he sits there with God, he doesn't, when he sits there being a shepherd and he's talking to God, he's not just having a conversation and learning like, a, like you would in a book about God. He's having an intimate knowledge and relationship with a living, breathing God. And so he comes into this moment with Goliath in this relationship with God, not if God, not as if God's up in heaven, but as if God is standing with him in the moment. And the next thing we find what that does is it breeds, it breeds number two, David had this unbelievable confidence and faith in God. Listen, what made David think that he could grab hold of the lion and kill him? That's just stupid. How many of you go into a zoo and say, hey, I'm going to go out here real quick the power of God. I'm going to touch this lion and kill it. No, no, no. You see a lion go, ah, right? You run away from it, right? You're like praying. Make sure, make sure the glass is really thick, right? You're smart. You know you shouldn't do it. But what happened in the life of David that literally made him think he'd go out to this really big bear, grab it, split its neck and kill it, and then eat it for dinner? I'm just reading the lines here, right? 
So we're going to include some more lines. There had to be some sort of dynamic going down. We're in this intimate relationship, this actual knowledge of knowing God. I have to believe that he heard the voice of God say, Take this lion and kill it, for I am with you. I'm heavily reading between the lines here, right? But there's no one in their right mind that's just going to get up and go, I don't want to kill a lion today. No, no. There had to be something going on that we don't know about. And I think all it was was simply in the relationship with God, David said, hey, lion, sheep, can I take it? You got me back? Sweet. I'm gone, right? And he goes. Same thing with the bear. So when he steps into the moment, and Goliath is standing there like this, and David has this monologue moment. He hears God saying, Hey, I'm with you. I got you. I got you. I, too bad, Goliath. I'm about to cut your head off. Because in the moment, there was this unbelievable confidence in who God is because of this faith, this, this relationship, this intimate knowledge of Him. And the third thing we see David doing is simply honoring the name of God. Honoring God. Honoring Him by saying, no one talks about my daddy that way. How many of you ever said that? No one talks about my dad that way. No one talks about my mama that way. You talk about my mama? I'll take you down right now. Listen, no one talks about my wife that way. No one talks about my kids that way. Let me tell you something else. Nobody talks about you that way in my presence. Because you're my family. Nobody talks about you in that way to me. Because I defend you. Because we're part of the same family. Because you have to honor the relationship that we're in with God and those that he entrusts to us. And so David's in this moment. That's what you see, I believe, in, in this, the, the, the picture of, of Ephesians chapter 6, 13 to 15. Even the things that, that Paul names, he, he names the shield of faith. Faith is an, in, an intimate confidence in God. I put the shield of faith up. Why? Because I have confidence in who God is. The breastplate of righteousness, this thing that covers us, righteousness, it says Abraham was credited to Abraham as righteousness because he believed God. Simply what it means is righteousness that covers us is simply having faith in who God is. The sword of the word that we're, we're sitting here checking at the front desk, what is it? It's simply the words of God that have been invested into us because we spent time with him like David did. An intimate knowledge of everything that's about in the shoes of the gospel of peace. Peace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit being present in our lives. All of these things that Paul is talking about is simply saying all of the armor that you need is simply an intimate knowledge of Jesus and a confidence that comes from knowing him. And number three, that you live every day knowing that you're going to honor God in all that you do like David. That no one's going to talk about your God that way. Fathers, you have a call on your life. You are, you are called for the battle. You are a warrior. And you've been empowered to war. The Holy Spirit is moving in you. For those of you who know Jesus, and the thing that you, we have to do is engage it. We, listen, Paul's being very clear. He says, listen, you have to be strong. You have to be strong in the Lord. And you have to be strong in His mighty power. You have to clothe yourself with this intimate knowledge of God, this confidence of God, because the enemy is strong. And he's moving every day. The statistics don't lie. And we have to be aware of this. You have to step up. And you have to let God be God in your life. And you have to begin asking for directions. And you have to begin to say, God, I have nothing to offer to bring strength to anyone. But I give myself to you and say, be strong in me. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to hear your voice. And I want to honor you. 
and I want to have faith. I want to trust and I want to believe. This is the call this Father's Day. It's the call on your life. It's a beautiful call because what he says is, if you will come and do this, then I will give you my mighty power. And you will succeed in all that you do. For I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So come and be a father. Spiritually father. Come alongside and watch the statistics go down as we do our parts this Father's Day to be the fathers that God has called us to be. So men, let me go ahead and have you stand. If you are, if you are not a woman, then I want you to stand. Okay? No matter how old you are. into this moment, I'm simply doing is I'm just calling you out. Some of you are great fathers now. A lot of you. The word I felt like I had, I was preparing a couple nights ago, and what I felt like God speaking in the moment was that some of you have been really bad fathers. And you're sitting here this morning, there's this weight that you feel, almost a weight of guilt as if you haven't done what you're supposed to do. And what the enemy is doing, he's twisting that guilt. He's twisting that guilt in you so that you won't step up and then move forward to what he has for you. Scripture is very clear. You die with Christ, and then there's always resurrection, right? There's always hope. So this morning, for some of you, you're coming to this moment and saying, I've been a terrible father. It's way too late. I said, look at you and say, hey, there's resurrection for you. Begin to father now. If your children won't receive that, then begin to spiritually father others. You have a call today. You have a call today. If you're like, you're sitting this morning and you're like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, you're thinking, what are you talking about? I'm just sitting there, I'm a kid, right? I still got a dad over here. He's disciplining me all the time, right? I'm going to say to you, you begin this moment. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray that this understanding of your call as a father would be infused deep in your heart in this moment so you will embrace it every day of your life. Because the reality is there are friends of yours in your classes who have no fathers. And although you are their friend and you are an equal and appear to them, because of where you are spiritually, you can come alongside and spiritually father, spiritually love them. Hear that. And so men, call me out today. Call me out. I love this. I look around some of you and are like, my gosh, you're awesome. Man. You should be up here talking, right? I love this. I love seeing, seeing you as men standing up because the reality is you've been called out, no matter where you are, to come and be intimate with God, to have a faith in Him. You live every day in the confidence of who He is and of who you are, and you live every day to honor Him by defending those. Stevie's never straight. By defending and by honoring the call that God has on your so with that, women, you're going to be, you're going to pray along with me, okay? Women, I want you to touch the something. I want you to touch the arm of some guy next to you, no matter who it is. Make sure if you can't touch the guy, just put your hands towards them, right? We're going to pray. I'm going to pray, and women, you just pray. But what we're going to pray is there'll be an awakening in the hearts of our men here that they would step up to who God has called them to be. There'll be that awakening in their life, a stepping out of guilt, stepping out of condemnation, stepping out of of a slumber that they may be in, and just an awakening to this this conviction call to, to be the spiritual parent right where they are. So with that, just begin to pray. Father, we ask now that you would come in power. We pray that you would exalt your sins. Lord, we're asking that you would move in the lives of, of these men, of us as men who are standing here. And Jesus, we're saying, God, would you do this work in us, God? 
Would you cultivate this intimacy, Father? Would you cultivate this faith and this deep knowledge of you, Jesus? Awaken us, Father. Scripture says, Awake, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and you will shine on us to wake up and to get up, God. And we praise you that you are always faithful to fill us, to bring your light into our darkness. Father, I pray today that you would speak into us, God. That you would take those who are walking in guilt and condemnation, and that, Lord, you would convict us of truth and move us into a place of resurrection and life. Holy Spirit, would you move in us as men this morning to be who you have called us to be, mighty warriors who can give monologues all day long because we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Father, we love you. We just speak this release now into our men. Lord, in Jesus' name, Father, come. Well, good. You guys can be seated. Happy Father's Day. Women, that message was for you. You're called the mighty warriors also. Okay. You can have your own monologue moments. My mom had many of those. Prayer for me. Just believing and fighting for me to be who I am today. So, so as we leave today, I, I want you to leave. I want you to celebrate. I want you to enjoy yourself today. If you leave today having a brokenness because of a brokenness between you and your father, then I want you to recognize that that you have a spiritual father who wants to be intimate with you, just as David was in the, in the field. And there's a place where he won't, he won't just take away the hurt, but he'll minister in the midst of it. And he'll speak life to you in that place. Okay? And so with that, if you'd like to stay and just worship some table be leading us, if not, you're going to welcome to go. You guys have a great rest of your Sunday. Uh, don't forget, I forgot to announce it. Listen, men... Thursday night at 7 p.m. Everybody say Thursday night. People say Thursday night. Thursday night at 7 p.m. We're having a men's hangout time over here. Vintage. We'll have dinner. So 7 o'clock. If you're not on the email for that, just be 